know, we've been going through this series, I Will Survive, How to Live Through a Bad Day. And have you heard the saying, the good, the bad, the ugly? Well, I'm going to talk about that today, the good, the bad, the ugly. But I'm going to first talk about the bad and the ugly, and then I'm going to talk about the good. And it's going to end up in prayer. So that's basically the focus of this is prayer. But to get there, we have to talk about the good and the, I mean, the bad and the ugly. But, uh, you know, in modern times, there's some things that really irritate us that cause anxiety. So has this, does this irritate you when people clicking pens incessantly? I'm probably one of those that clicks the pen incessantly. I don't know what that is. It's just, if you see me, I'm sitting and always doing my legs like that. I think it's a Hancock thing. But uh, what about your phone being at 1% and you don't have a charger around? So frustrating, isn't it? What about debating whether you should speak up at a meeting? So you're sitting in a meeting and you wonder if people are going to like what you say or if it's really stupid or, you know, if you're going to say it at the same time someone else says it or you come to the end of the meeting and you have debated so long in your head that you've never said anything and then you don't know what the meeting was about because you kept <laughs> ruminating over what you, you know. Has that ever happened to you? Some of you are laughing like, yes. What about people who chew your pen? That's disgusting, isn't it? <clears throat> people who don't know how to use emojis. How about that? Maybe you're one of them. But there's, there's a couple. I, I saw one missing, but then somebody else pointed out there's another. There's, there's a, you know, the poop emoji. Have you ever seen it in pink? I don't get that. And then praying hands, you know. Anyway, uh, loud phone talkers on Bluetooth headsets. How annoying, right? <laughs> you know, this is all modern stuff. This is first world stuff. This is really not that annoying. We ought to have some grace and just get over it. But there are real things. <laughs> there are real things in life that cause anxiety, serious things. Has this ever happened to you at 3.30 in the morning and you're wide awake and you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, I can't go to sleep. You're trying and trying to go back to sleep. You punch your pillow, fluff it up. Then you pull the covers up and you push them off. You pull them up again. You toss and you turn. Does that sound familiar? And you're counting sheep and you look over at your spouse and your spouse is sleeping so well. Ugh. And everybody in the house is, is sleeping well except you. And you know that in five hours that you're facing something that you haven't ever faced before. It's a new season in your life. So if you're 18, you've just graduated from college and you're, all, you're about to go into that first new class and you have no idea what to expect. Or you're 23 and you just graduated from college and you're doing the interview thing and you can't seem to get an interview. And you thought, man, I thought it was going to be easier than this because I have this great degree. Or you're 33 and you got two or three or four kids and you're just like, oh, I, I just can't see straight. I can't make ends meet and can't seem to get the things done that you want to. Will it ever end? Or you're 43 or 53 and your company has downsized, and they've laid you off, and what in the world are you going to do? You're going to have to start all over with a new career. It's just too much to handle. Or you're 63, 
and you're facing retirement and you're looking at your retirement plan and you're going, it's not sufficient to take care of me and your family or whoever. And you're facing some medical issues. You know what? And no matter what age you are, there are these questions and there are what ifs, right? Max Licato has an interesting statement. He says, anxiety is the meteor shower of what ifs. You know, anxiety has a tendency to worm its way into your thinking, right? It wants to steal your sleep. It wants to take away your well-being. It wants to steal your energy, and it does. It's insidious. Max Licato also said that fear and anxiety, they're related. They're not twins, but they're cousins. So fear sees a threat while anxiety um, just imagines one. It's not there. He imagined it. And it's like, oh, there's so much unrest because there's trouble out there and it's going to find me. That's what, that's what anxiety does to you. It's all about what if. And so, therefore, you don't sleep well. You know, anxiety disorders are at an epidemic high in the United States. Did you realize that? The Association, um, Anxiety and Depression Association of America reports that anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults in the United States age 18 and over. That's a lot of people. The U.S. is the most anxious nation in the world and is costing us $300 billion every year in medical bills and cost productivity. So chances are either you or someone you know suffers from anxiety or has fits of anti-anxiety, and that's exactly what it feels like. It feels like a fit, doesn't it? Americans are tense. Now, I want to, to let you know that anxiety is not just merely the results of a stressful lifestyle. There, there's a complex set of factors that go with anxiety. There can be genetics. There can be diseases. There can just be life events that happen. Personality, brain chemistry, all those things can play into anxiety. And I acknowledge that there's physiological, there's, there's physical problems that where you might have anxiety. It could be from heart disease or stroke or thyroid disease or diabetes. It can be a number of those things. And, and uh, we are not uh, saying that if you have anxiety that, you know, you're a second-class citizen. You are not a second-class citizen. And I want you to know if you have anxiety and it's based on a physical problem and you just don't know which way to turn, we are here to help you. That's a, that's a conversation that we need to have with you. So if you want to come up and talk to me after about that, or you can write it on a connection card, which is in the little pocket in the seat back in front of you. You can write that, and we'll contact you and help you process. Because there are people, there are doctors, and there's counselors and all that that can help you with that. Sometimes it's a change of diet, or you're having a reaction to something. So I acknowledge there's anxiety from that. You need to know that. We need to not judge people because they're depressed and anxious. We need to help them find an answer. And so we have, to, we have to poke around and find out why do you have this anxiety. So that's one thing. Another thing is what I'm going to focus on today is anxiety that we experience from stressful lifestyle. And it happens a lot in, in America that can create a bad day. So for most of us, the majority of our bad days are simply giving in to the what-ifs. 
So, you know, everywhere we look, like I said earlier, we just see unrest. You see it on the news. You see it on social media. It's everywhere. And if we are left to our own devices, we really have reason to be anxious. And I am not uh, saying that, I, that you shouldn't have a bad day. I've had my own share of bad days where um, anxiety is my constant companion. But I encourage myself. Because I know what the Lord has written down for me to remember. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, he says that Jesus sympathized with everything that I go through. So I can just go right to him and I can receive mercy and grace. He says, you have the confidence. I'm giving you the confidence for that. And he is no stranger to anxiety. Just think about on the day, the night that he was betrayed in the garden of Gethsemane, he prayed three times, Lord, please Take this bitter cup from me. You know what he was praying about? He knew that he was going to take all of our bad days and take them on himself. He was going to take all the sin and the shame upon himself. And what I have a hard time understanding is how did he even make it to the point of death when he took all of the world's anxiety, all the world's sin, all the world's shame on himself and he suffered it's like this huge burden. I mean, we feel like we're strangled by the, just the anxiety that we had. How did he handle that? I don't know, but he was so distraught on that day or that night that the capillaries burst in his head and he sweat drops of blood. I would say that Jesus was anxious, wouldn't you? But he didn't stay that way. And so neither do we have to stay that way there is a pathway out of the valley of anxiety so we're going to look and see what God said through Paul in Philippians 4 8 through I mean 4 through 8 4 4 through 8 all right I'm going to read it and you can follow along with me it says rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice let your gentle spirit be known to all men the Lord is near be anxious for nothing there it is but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. That's a lot of good things, isn't it? If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So the definition in this passage, the definition of anxiety, or it uses the word in the tense, anxious, means to be pulled in different directions. Have you ever felt that? Has it been such a bad day where you felt like, oh, I'm just pulled? I know as a young mother, I felt like I was pulled in so many in directions. It also means to be strangled, like you just can't take it, like, oh, man, that is just too much for me. When the perfect storm descends on us I think it, it feels like that it feels like oh how can I do this and perhaps you woke up this morning and this affected you you had some anxiety over something you know you feel like that right now but Paul is telling us don't be anxious for anything do not be anxious for anything it's like how do you do that how can he say that well first I want to just clarify that stressful things in life are inevitable, but being imprisoned by anxiety is optional. And this is something for you to know. Anxiety is not a sin. 
It's just an emotion. And so again, don't judge people because they have anxiety. However, anxiety can lead to sin. Don't let anxiety lead you to abandon your spouse or neglect your kids or ignore your friends or forget about your responsibilities. Don't let that happen. That's where the sin comes in. But let's look and see what Paul is telling us here in these, these scriptures because he's given us four encouragements and one promise. So the first encouragement, which is rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, we need to rejoice and celebrate God's goodness. So this word rejoice simply means to be glad. But you're saying, how can I be glad over this situation that I'm in? Well, he really clarifies it. He says rejoice in the Lord, not in your situation. In the Lord, it's our focus. And he says always, it should be habitual and ongoing, something that we take our mind off of our anxiety and try to focus it on the Lord. It needs to be the manner of our life, something that we say, I'm going to do this every day. I'm going to force myself. I'm going to focus myself. I'm going to make sure that I'm thinking good things. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. You know, when Paul wrote this, he was not a stranger to anxiety. And he was in prison in Rome for his faith. He had been shipwrecked. He had been lost at sea. I mean, he was floating in the sea, and he felt responsible. And um, he had run out of town. He had been run out of town by those, his, his Jewish family. And he had been beaten and left for dead. He had been stoned and left for dead. And now he was in prison. So I would say he's had a few bad days, wouldn't you? So he understands. So when he's writing this, he's writing it from an understanding of his situation. But he had something to tell us. He not only survived, he thrived. And I believe when we say, I will survive, it really should be, I will survive and I will thrive. He knew his God and so can we. This is a decision, this is a call to a decision, not a feeling, that is deeply rooted in the confidence that God exists, that he is good and in charge of your surrendered life. Sometimes the trials and the pressures, they just overwhelm us, and it's just impossible to be happy. Let's just face it. But I'm telling you, it's not a feeling. Happiness is a little bit overrated because of these things that we face, and we think that happiness is the criteria to tell us if we're doing well. But no, that's not it. It really depends on our surrendered life and who is in control. Now, I used that. I added that in there because I wanted to make sure that you understand. It's, just, it's not that he's just in charge of our life because anybody could say that. And still, they could be in control. But it's a surrendered life that he's in charge of. It's a proper understanding of who is in control, which is God, that determines where our anxiety is going to land whether it's going to be like, okay, I'm feeling pretty anxious, but I know that God is going to turn this for good because he promises that. You know, if you were in control, you're probably the most stressed out person because how can you really get it right? It's, it's eventually going to strangle you. But the scriptures give us a better idea. He says, relinquish control to God, not that all the problems are going to go, to way, go away, but that he is going to be with us. He is near. He says, the Lord is near in this scripture, in this verse. Let your gentle spirit be known to all. The Lord is near. 
And that is something to rejoice about because he has peace for us, which we'll get to in just a minute. So rather than wringing your hands over the chaos that is out there, you can focus on that there is a loving God that can take your bad day and turn it into good or take your bad month and turn it into good or take your bad year and turn it into good. So your anxiety will decrease if you're under, as your understanding of the Lord increases. So that was the first one, to rejoice in the Lord. And the second says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. So the second help would be be gentle toward all. Now, this is not a passive talk in a quiet, nice voice kind of attitude. That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Like gentle, like a nice little kitty kitty or a little rabbit, you know, whatever. Just makes me think that, you know. (laughs) This describes a temperament that is seasoned and mature, level-headed and steady as opposed to the opposite behavior of overreaction or sense of panic. So you see the difference that? Really, there's another version that says, let your moderation be known to all, that you're just staying steady. And that's what I pray for you. I pray that you'd be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord that Paul said in 1 Corinthians. And this is just that idea. He is encouraging us to let our gentleness be known to all. So if you truly believe the Lord is with you and that he's near, then you can You can be anxious for nothing. It's possible. But if you struggle with believing that he is not near, then you're going to be overwhelmed by a sense of loneliness. And nothing is worse than than facing a challenge except facing it, it alone, right? And so isolation brings such a downward cycle of fret and anxiety. So... God says, I don't want you to be isolated. He says, I am near. The Lord is near. Instead, cling to him with both hands. Now, I love this verse, Jeremiah 13, 11. I don't know if you've ever heard this. But he says that I want my people to cling to me like the waistband of a man's pants. Have you ever heard that? That's in the Bible. God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? But can't you just see it? Can't you see it? He's just hanging on. I mean, I know that I have felt like that, just hanging on, being dragged by God, my feet falling behind me. But that's the picture. He said, I want my people to cling to me like that. The waistband, waistband of a man's pants or a belt can be translated belt. If we understand the Lord is near, then we can experience the peace that he has for us. Now, the third help that he has is be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God so you can ask God for help talk to God about everything everything he's not leaving anything out prayer is taking what you have and offering it to Jesus it's really integrating your heart with his that is our God He's not some far-off God that doesn't know what's going on. He wants to have close relationship with us. It is more about relationship than it is about information. That is our God. There's nothing that you can tell him that he does not already know. He sees it all. But he's about relationship. He's about collaboration. He wants you to join him in that. You know what? 
Praying may not change your problem, but it can change your perspective. And that's what we need. We need a change in perspective. And I want to share with you, I'm not uh, uh, saying that I don't have bad days. I, I do have bad days that, are, that anxiety is close to me. And I want to share this one story with you back in 2002. I want to introduce you to my sister first. Is she coming up? My sister and I were very close in age. I was about 16 months older than her. And so when we were really little, is she up there? Look at that. Isn't she awesome? I wish you could meet her. But, and now you are. But um, she, they, they, uh, people would say, y'all look like twins. Y'all seem like twins because we were so close in age. And uh, we were very close. She was an awesome person and, and uh, loved the Lord. And there she is. She looks like an angel, doesn't she? Um, but in 2002, uh, by this time, she had battled cancer for 11 years. And uh, she would battle it, and then she'd had a reprieve, and then it'd come back, and she'd had all kind of treatment up until that point. And so she had really suffered a lot with that. But in 2002, I was planning a trip with, a, with some friends of ours, and we were going to New York City. We'd been planning it three or four months, and we'd already bought the tickets, and we'd pay for the hotel. And uh, uh, just a couple of days before that, my sister started swelling up especially in her chest area and in her neck. She was just swelling up. And so they went in and they, they thought that she had a blood clot in her major artery that was going down into her heart. So they thought, well, we'll just put a stent in that blood clot and it'll open up and then the, then the blood can just flow. They sent simple procedure. Now, I had always been with my sister. She had had a, a lot of hospital visits and stayed in the hospital a lot. And I was always there. My mom was always there. And so I was going to cancel my trip. And my sister was like, no, don't cancel your trip. It's so simple. There's nothing to this. You need to go on because she loved New York City, and she wanted me to go. And so against my better judgment, I went ahead and went. And so we were there one night, and the next day um, I got a note at the front desk. Now, this was back in the day when I didn't have a cell phone, 2002. I mean, that wasn't that long ago, but, and neither did my friends have a cell phone. So I know there were some lucky people that had cell phones back then, but we didn't have them. And so the way that we communicated was with a cell, with a, a pay phone. And if, uh, and in, if somebody needed to leave a message for us at the desk. So I got this message, call home ASAP. There's an emergency. So I try to call home. Nobody answers the phone because they don't have a cell phone either. They have to be near the landline. And so we were on our way to go see a play, a stupid play, when my sister's in trouble is really what I, how I felt about it at that time. So we're on our way to the play. I knew that I couldn't get a flight to Birmingham, so I ended up going to the play. We'd spent a boatload of money on a ticket to go to a play in New York City. Has anybody ever done that? Yeah, they're so expensive. And so, yeah, well... <laughs> That's right, that's right. It would be awesome if she wasn't. But I was thinking the worst things because at this point I had not known what was wrong with her. So we go and sit down in the play, and I thought, I've, I've got to go and check on her. So I got up and went to a pay phone and spent so much money. It was long distance back then. You didn't have a credit card. I had a pocket full of change to stick in there. Like, I've got to talk to somebody. So I finally got somebody, and they said, your sister had the procedure done, but when they got in there, 
uh, there were some other things going on. And when they put that stent in, it slipped into her heart. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, I hadn't either. I mean, this is unusual. So I was like, oh, my gosh. And they had to do open heart surgery. I mean, like cut into her heart, get in there, and get the stent out. And so they said that uh, she's in surgery right now doing that. And so, you know, of course, I had to hang up, and I went back to the play, and I'm like, oh, this stupid play. So I got up, and I went back. I waited a little while until maybe, you know, there was some new news. So I called another time, and they said, it is really bad. She lost 14 pints of blood. So your body normally has eight or nine pints of blood, and she lost, you know, uh, her what one and a half times what was in her body they had to go to another hospital to bring the blood in and so they said that she actually went without oxygen on the table she actually died on the table well at the same time my brother my little brother Britt was there he happened to be there which was very unusual because he's in Mexico at that time and wasn't hardly ever there and he was there and there was a lot of people there my husband was there and they were all praying for her Lord, please raise her up. Don't let her die. And so, but I'm getting the message that she's on the table. They've had to give her this blood. They don't even think that she's going to be able to wake up in recovery. And if she does, she's probably not going to all be there. So here I am at the cell phone, I mean at the pay phone. So I hang up and I'm just like, oh, I'm at this stupid play. And I would, I would rather be in Birmingham. That's how I felt about that play, by the way. And I mean, can you? I was just a nervous wreck, and I was like, "Lord, what am I doing here? I should have been there." But I can remember enclosing myself like in a secret place of prayer because I was out in public. I was just like, "I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay in the presence of God. I'm just going to pour my heart out to Him." Went back, and and then you know, the next morning I got up, no flight out that night, and I rode in the taxi to the the. Um, uh, airlines and went up to the counter I said please please I, I gotta get home my sister's not doing well and they didn't expect her to live and they were so nice and they got me home and I remember thinking I gotta sit by somebody that might want to talk you know but I but but the Lord took care of me because I was like in this bubble of prayer I was in this secret place of prayer and then I got home Dale picked me up and I can remember we were in the car going to the hospital and, uh, you know, we were just sitting there silently thinking, what if something happens to her? We got to the hospital. What had happened during that time driving to the hospital is that she was in recovery and she woke up. And they couldn't believe it. She's like, what happened? Like, my goodness, they had to open your heart up. She was like, I'm hungry. And uh, obviously, she was okay at that point. Now, the sad part is the next year, because of all the trauma to her body and all the chemo and the, everything that she sustained, she passed away the next year. But the Lord heard our prayer, and he brought us through that. We were in this secret place of prayer. And this is what Paul is telling us here. He says, being anxious for nothing, it's, it's, it's not that things are not going to happen to us. We've all been in those places where we're not sure and you can't get contact and you're not sure what's going on and you feel like you're pulled in a, a bunch of different directions and you're strangled. But he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So he gives us three ideas for this word prayer. He gives us the general word for the word prayer. 
which means just making requests known to the Lord and carries the idea of adoration. It's a worship because it's what are you focused on? What is your prayer focused on? Who is it focused on? It is focused on Jesus. It's what is named. It's helping you to see the greatness of God, that he is big enough to solve your problems. That's prayer, the general word. It covers all kinds of prayers. And then there's the second word, which is supplication. That is a heartfelt sharing of our needs and problems. Now, this is specific and definite things that we need. You can clarify what you're feeling. You can clarify what the problem is. You can clarify what you need because the Lord is hearing you. You know, you can vent to the Lord. Did you, have you read the Psalms where he says, destroy my enemies? You can vent to the Lord because sometimes you feel like that. But you're laying your, your request and your needs. Articulate everything that you feel because he wants to listen and he wants to help you. Now, you may say, Lord, I want this. And he may say, but you need this because he's going to give us what is the best for us. And you have to give him that room for that. You have to open up your heart to that. And so he is ready and willing to hear. The third thing is thanksgiving. Focusing on the good things you have. It's just being grateful. Gratitude has been named the greatest of virtues. Because people that are grateful are more empathetic. They're more forgiving. They're more content. And they have a better outlook. That's what gratitude, because it, it helps you to focus on the good things that are in life. You know, the circumstances of Paul's life, probably according to our, you know, ideas, was miserable. If we were in the same place that he was, he was in prison, he was under house arrest, he was in another country, he was there, there was always somebody overlooking him. He was never by himself, constant watch. But I love it that he says in verse 11, just following this passage, that he says to be content. He has learned to be content in whatever circumstances he is. So if there's plenty of want, which he experienced, he's content. But if, there's, if he's needy, then he says, I've learned to be content. And then he states in verse 13 after that, that he can do all things through Christ who gives him strength. I mean, he was, he was imprisoned at this point. And he had suffered all those things that I listed before, you know, beaten and stoned and all those. He knew what a bad day was. His was not a conditional commitment. I mean, contentment or conditional commitment. He was just committed as well. But his contentment, contentment in whatever situation was, he was willing to take that from the Lord. He was willing to know that the Lord was with him. But he radiates gratefulness. He, you can see it when you read this book. Philippians, you see it. It's just joy. And gratefulness improves your attitude. It helps you to handle things a lot better. You look for the best in situations. Remember that statement that Max Licato said, anxiety is a meteor shower of what ifs. So gratitude takes us from that fretting of what if, and it opens up that secret of contentment. So gratitude is very important to you, being thankful in that part of prayer. Anxiety and worry cannot share the same heart as gratitude. And you've heard Ross say this, that our faith is not in an outcome, right? It is in a person. 
because it's personal and it's relational. A Christ-based contentment turns us into strong, strong people. And that's what we need to realize. It's very relational, isn't it? It's very personal. So what you have with Jesus is so much better than what you don't have or what you think that you have. So if we do our part, we rejoice in the Lord. We have a gentle spirit. We pray about everything with thanksgiving. Then God is going to do his part. He promises us this next part. And the peace of God, which, pass, which passes all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in, in Christ Jesus. So God's peace will be with you. God takes responsibility for our hearts and minds of those who look to him. So recently, when my grandson was around and, and uh, my son and his family, we prayed together at dinner time. And my grandson turned and he said, honey, that's what he calls me, honey. He said, honey, he said, there is like a, a shield around us while we're praying. I thought, how insightful. The Lord has, has revealed to him what that word guard will guard your heart and mind in. It's a military term. Perhaps you've heard that before. It's like a, like a fortress. It, it, it's, it surrounds you and guards you. It has the idea of protection. That's what the peace of God is going to do. And, and he saw that. And uh, you can have peace in the midst of the storm because God is with you. You belong to God. He is near you. You can lose all your worldly goods. But if you still have God, you haven't lost that much. Because he's the most valuable thing that we can have. And finally, the fourth and the last uh, encouragement is... Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. So we need to meditate on good things. That's our response. Think about the things that are, are worthy of praise. You can choose what you think about, and you can control what goes into your mind. We tell our children that. Watch what goes into your mind. We need to take that, take that advice ourselves. So healing from anxiety requires healthy thinking. Your problem is not necessarily the problem. It's how you're looking at that problem, which can help us. You're getting a God perspective. And there are times when I don't understand what is going on, and I feel anxiety that I'm going, Lord, help me to see it from your perspective. I can see it from his perspective. And then I'm reminded, reminded about Joseph that, you know, he was in a downward spiral for 13 years before God took him and brought him back up. And he reminds me of those things. What ifs and ifs, uh, if only are like a Petri dish where anxiety grows. So if you're ruminating your thought, then it's growing in that Petri dish. So you need to replace your, your anxious thoughts with grateful thoughts. You know, at least give them an equal amount of time. You know, if you're ruminating, you say, okay, every anxious thought, I'm going to think of a good thought. I'm going to think of a grateful thought. The enemy knows that the battlefield is in the mind. You realize that, don't you? He's always messing with our minds, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy, right? And when he speaks to us, it's all always inflated. It's always unreasonable. It's always overrated. That's how he works. And I think what ifs are his specialty too. Because what if usually takes us down the wrong road of thinking and, and anxiety. 
but there's no problem. There's no problem that God can't handle. And if the enemy is speaking to you and saying, but you're unloving, you know, he doesn't love you, that's a big fat lie. That is from the pit of hell. And he, when he says that, you know, he wants you to have this swarm of negative thoughts that just overwhelms you. So fix your thoughts on what is true. Those are the opposite. Anything it's true is just the opposite of dishonest and unreliable things. What is noble, dignified, and worthy of respect. What is right is the conformity to God's standards. What is pure, it's wholesome and not mixed with moral impurity. It's lovely. It's, I love this. It speaks of what promise, what promotes peace rather than conflict. Admirable. It relates to what is positive and constructive rather than negative and destructive. And that's what we need to do as the body of Christ. As a representative of Christ, we need to speak things that are admirable. So how do we disarm anxiety? We stockpile our minds with God's thoughts. Just pour them in. Stockpile them. And you know what? I, when I was looking through this and studying this, I thought, you know what? Is God, is Jesus not true? Is he not noble? Is he not right, pure, lovely, and admirable? Because sometimes it's hard to grab hold of a concept. It's easier to grab hold of a person. So think about him. Capture every single thought and make it give up and obey Jesus. That's what he wants. Don't let their, those thoughts worm into you. We need to be conscious of that. The last verse that I've got here is Isaiah 26.3. He will keep in perfect peace all those who trust in him, whose thoughts turn often to the Lord. So have you had a bad day or have you had a bad week? You know, do you struggle with worry and anxiety? Are you facing a situation right now that is just causing you great anxiety? You know, are the, is, is your life just a perfect storm that is just like a tornado and you feel strangled and you feel like you're pulled in a bunch of different directions? What about this perfect storm has been with you and is relentless for a long time? Well, we're told to pray. We're told to rejoice. We're told to have gentle, have a gentle spirit. This is what God wants us to do. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to pray. We're going to do what he says. There is a better way. We're going to pray. So I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. I want you to think. Just, just try to get rid of all the other thoughts that are flowing around in your head. And I want you to think, is there anything in my life that is causing anxiety? It can be something very small. It could be that clicking pin, or it can be something really huge. You're, you're facing a situation like I did with my sister, not knowing would she live or die. If something pops into your head, then we can pray about that. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to have the prayer team around, up front, and down the sides. And if, if something has popped into your head that that the Lord is speaking to you about. You do not have to, to battle this alone. You've got a brother and a sister that's going to agree with you in prayer. And through the mighty name of Jesus, peace can come and descend on you. You are not alone. So let me pray for you. Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. I thank you, Lord, that you speak to storms and you calm us down. You calm the chaos within us. You tell us not to fear, and Lord, 
We want to hear that. We want to understand that. We want to receive that peace. You told us in your word that you sympathize with everything that we go through, Lord. And you know what we're facing, what we're all facing. So I ask, Father, that you would send your spirit to help us today. Thank you for your promise of peace. We receive it, Lord, in your mighty name. We pray.